I stood in the back as the offering was being collected to get a little different perspective. Just normally I'm sitting here and the guys pass me by and I sit and enjoy the music or whatever. And I just want a little different perspective this morning. So I, I'm curious as I was watching the offering plate being passed, how, how'd you do? How'd it go for you? You know, was it, was it, was it tough? You know, you put that in, and then you almost kind of want to follow it down the aisle, you know. Come back, come back. You know, oh, you make some change. I saw a couple of people. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Y'all are paranoid now. If I ever stand in the back again, I, you know, how to increase giving in your church. Just stand in the back. No, you know, I wonder how did it go for you? I mean, really, what, what was the condition of your heart when, when that passed by? And we're not going to collect another offering just to make sure this morning. Don't worry about that, but... But honestly, what was, what was going on? Was it tough for you? And I'm sure for some, it, it was difficult. You know, for some, you, you had already planned. This is, this is what I'm giving. It's what we always do. Maybe for you, it was just out of habit. You know, as the plate passed for some, I know, I know the pressure mounts as you look down the aisle. And, well, they put something in. Well, they did too. Whew. I guess I need to. And you start digging and you find something and you throw You know, we've all been there. Sometimes it's very, very difficult. I was reading this week uh, a, a blog post by a guy who's sort of a Christian comedian, if you will. And he said, if, 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 if on the 4th of July weekend you ever want to bring up something controversial, that's the opportunity to do it because nobody's going to be there anyway. So just bring up something controversial. Well, it just so happens that we're getting to a portion toward the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians that can be, if you want it to be, a little controversial. Talking about generosity and their giving this morning. Now, I know immediately that puts you on the defensive. What's he got for us today? What's he going to say? Well, I hope that we will simply together march through the scripture and listen to what God has to say. There are lots of examples and lots of teaching in the Scripture that will, will support what Paul wrote to the Philippians today. Let me give you a couple of those. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the stories. You probably have heard the story, probably even as a little child or even growing up, the story of Zacchaeus. You know, the wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You remember that guy? Well, at the end of the song, do you know what happens? Jesus actually went to his house. Zacchaeus received salvation and forgiveness. And you know what happened as a result? He was a completely different person. No longer is he a thieving tax collector. He is a generous giver. Not only does he pay back everything that he stole from people, he goes above and beyond that and doubles and quadruples all the stuff that he stole and he gives it all back. When the gospel came into his life, when, when Jesus entered his life, guess what? Even his pocketbook was different. And that's the highlight of that story. Jesus also taught us in Matthew chapter 6 that where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Because wherever you put your money, your heart's going to follow. And wherever your heart is, your money's going to follow. Jesus knew that there's a direct connection between our hearts and how we spend our money or how we don't spend it. We also learn from Paul that, that we are to give what we have purposed in our hearts. So that our hearts should be involved in our decision to give toward what God is doing. We don't give, he says, out of compulsion or just obligation or just following some set of rules. Because if we're doing that, then it's not out of our heart. And so Paul says this is a heart thing. The condition of our heart really does matter. Interestingly, when the, when the first church was being created in Acts chapter 2, and we see the, the story unfold, we see a couple of passages in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 where the early church was, was really, really generous toward each other. 
You may remember some of those verses. It said they had everything in common, and if anybody had a need, they all pitched in and met the need. Generosity was just the hallmark of early Christianity. Now, what we're going to see today is not only that clear pattern from the New Testament, but really some teaching from Paul that points to the generosity in some specific examples, and I hope you'll understand some specific reasons why we are to be so generous. Now, here's where we are in this particular letter. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is a short, short book in the New Testament, one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a variety of churches. This one happened to be directed toward a, a, a church in the city known as Philippi, an important trade city. Uh, you, you've probably, uh, if you've been here for any of this sermon series, this is now the 19th out of 20. It ends next week, but I'm going to catch you up again real quick. The context is this. Paul, about 10 years before he wrote the letter, started a church in a place called Philippi. Important place, but there weren't really that many people there to begin with that, that believed in, in God, even, even in the, the Judaism kind of version of, of faith. They just weren't that many people. And so Paul takes the gospel to them. Several of them become believers in Jesus and they start a church. Uh, Paul loved this church, and as we'll see, they were very generous toward him. They find out about 10 years after he started the church that he's on house arrest, and things aren't going well for him, and he doesn't know what the trial that he's about to face is going is to determine. Will he live? Will he die? They had opportunity to be able to, to give something to him, and they meet some of his needs. And Paul wrote a letter in response to that gift that was given to them, given to him rather, from the Philippians, and he's saying thanks to them. He's responding to their inquiry about how he's doing, and he's also, as a great pastor, teaching them along the way. So we've entitled this series A Letter from Your Pastor. It's really what it is, a letter from their founding pastor about how he's doing, about some gratitude and some lessons. He's winding down at this point. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you get to the end of something, and you just kind of skim over it. I don't want us to do that because I think there's something incredibly powerful about what Paul concluded with in this letter. Every word that he wrote had some meaning for them, and I believe has some meaning for us as well. And so he's giving them some thanks again, gives some encouragement and so on. And it's easy to overlook this, but there's lots to learn from his words. So let's look. Chapter 4, verses 15 to 20 is where we'll be. He says this, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you were to complete the following sentence, I follow Jesus, therefore I am... What? I mean, what would you say? I, I'm forgiven, I, I'm made new, I, I'm bound for heaven, I'm loving, I'm kind... What would, you, what would you include there? One thing that we can easily overlook, but that the New Testament is clear on through example and teaching, and Paul makes allusion to right here, is a core value that's essential for every church and every Christian. Very simply put, we follow Jesus, therefore we are generous. This is no surprise to you. This is not anything you haven't heard before. We follow Jesus, therefore we are generous. I follow Jesus, therefore I am generous. 
We follow Jesus, so we're generous. Generosity for Christians and for churches is not optional. It's not something you can say, well, I'll, I'll pick up that part. No, no, this is not optional. It is an absolute requirement. It is a byproduct of us knowing and following Jesus that we are generous people. The challenge we're going to receive this morning is from this ancient church, and it's really got several components to it. Paul alludes to all of these things as he describes the Philippians and their generosity toward him. And so on the back side of that handout, you'll see where you can follow along with these. Several different elements to this challenge from this ancient church. We follow Jesus, therefore we are generous. The first supporting point that Paul gets to is in the beginning of verse 15. We are generous because we understand the gospel. We're generous because we understand the gospel. Look at the beginning of verse 15. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, and then he goes on to talk about their generosity. What he's talking about is the early days when they first interacted with the gospel that Paul preached to them when he first came to Philippi and presented that to them. That's what he's talking about. The early days when you were first acquainted with the gospel. It's from that point forward. Understand this about the Philippians. It's from that point forward, when they first understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they became generous people. They didn't have to go through a class. I mean, you know, as much as I love a lot of the financial stuff that's out there today, and it's all really, really good, they didn't have to go through a class to teach them to be generous. They understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as a result, they simply were generous. From that moment on, they became generous toward the kingdom of God. The gospel was presented to them. As Jesus said of himself in John chapter 3, God so loved the world. That means here's how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We'll sing at the close of today's service, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That's the gospel. They understood that. And as a result of understanding how generous God was toward them, they simply imitated him. Once you understand the gospel, you can't be stingy anymore. If you truly claim to be a Christian, let me say this. If you claim to be a Christian, you can't be stingy. Because if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to understand the gospel and how generous God has been toward you, and you understand now to live for Him, and His generosity never ends, and ours shouldn't either. As I said, I'm not going to collect another offering. This isn't about how much you give to the church. Where's your heart? Do you understand the gospel? And I think if we only truly understood the generosity of God toward us, how it would change our lives and how it would change our church. There'd be no more inward selfish focus. There would just simply be all kingdom of God, all generosity all the time. That's what we would focus on. Freely I have received, we would say, so freely I give. To be honest, I could, go, I could go on about this for a long time. About our need to, to really understand the gospel. And how that understanding and true belief in the gospel would radically change our lives. I honestly believe we've got so many folks. And I don't pick on anybody here because I have nobody in particular in mind. But we've got so many people in so many churches across our country and in our world today who claim to be Christians and, and truly believe in Jesus but don't completely understand the implications of the gospel. And as a result, their growth and their faith is stunted. We're generous because we understand the gospel. Because if you have received the grace of God, you can't help but dole it out. 
You can't help but dole it out. Next, we are generous because we believe in God's mission. Paul said, you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, verse 15, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Since he left Macedonia, this area around Philippi, they had shared with him, they had partnered with him in giving and receiving to support God's mission. They were the only church that did that. Isn't that interesting? No wonder Paul loves them so much. They got it. It wasn't because they gave him stuff. I mean, Paul says that. I'm not looking for your gifts. Paul, Paul loved them because they got on board with what God was doing and they funded it. They put their money where their mouth was. They put their treasure where they knew their heart should be. The truth is that you and I are generous toward things that we believe in and things we care about deeply. There's no question. Every single person here is generous toward what you believe in and what you care about deeply. Think about the causes that you're willing to support. Lots of great causes. We, every year we do Relay for Life here. And we have a great, great team of people who do that. A wonderful cause to get behind. And so many believe in that cause, don't we? And we're generous toward it. And I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to be. But we have others who maybe it's Humane Society or some other community kind of uh, entity. And you get behind that. You're generous toward that. Why? Because you believe in it. Or, or maybe you're generous toward the things you deeply care about. Some of your grandparents and your grandkids get everything you have. My dad will literally spend every dollar he's got, plus some he doesn't have, if my, if my kid's asking for something. I mean, he's lost his mind. He really has. If he were here, I'd say the same thing. He'd just nod, you know, he, he wouldn't know anyway. He's lost his mind. He has. He's, my kids have caused him to lose his mind. Some of your grandparents, you've lost your mind. Oh, my goodness. And, but listen, you know what? You care about them so much, you're just as generous as you can be. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't even hurt you. You open your wallet. You pay for this and that and whatever. And, and of course, you know, your kids, their, their parents are like, come on. You're killing me. They think that's what they're supposed to get for me, too. But, you know, you're generous toward what you care about deeply, whether it's a cause or it's your grandkids, which, of course, is a great cause. But you realize there's nothing that you can believe in. There's nothing that you can care about that matters more than the mission of God. Nothing. Not even those great causes and not even your grandkids. Paul told the Philippians, he said, you shared with me, you, you partnered together in this matter of giving and receiving. When he uses that little phrase, giving and receiving, what he's implying there, it was, it was their initiative. They took the first step. I love this part about them. The gospel had so impacted their lives and so impacted their church that they didn't wait to be asked. They didn't wait to be prodded. They, they didn't have to, to, to have somebody guilt them into it. You ever heard a sermon that just guilt you into giving? Maybe you're listening to it right now. I have no idea. But you know, it just, folks, we're running low. Listen, I sat through a sermon one time. No joke. Visiting a friend in Atlanta. He was in a church and, and they were struggling financially, really struggling financially. The pastor preached for an hour and a half. I'm serious. I sat there the whole time and I did the same thing. Oh, exactly. And I thought, really? And all it was was to, to get to the end where he presented to them, look how short we are in our budget. And guess what? They rallied to the cause that week. You know what? Guilting you into something isn't going to change your heart. You realize that? That didn't change the hearts of those people there. 
It didn't change the budget of that church except for that one week. So, so this church in Philippi, they didn't wait for somebody to guilt them into it or to show them, hey, here's the budget shortfall. Let's all give extra to it. That's not what it was about. And it's not what this sermon is about. Because in truth, it doesn't matter what I tell you and how many numbers I show you and this and that or whatever. The truth is that if we aren't being generous towards God, toward God's mission, we either don't believe in it or we don't care about it. That's a simple truth. Because we're going to be generous toward the things we believe in and the things we care about. And if we're not being generous toward God's mission in the world, then we either don't believe in it or we don't care about it or both. Now, let me real quick, and, and I realize that there may be some here and there may be not, so take some notes for those who aren't here and pass this along to them. Uh, let me talk to those who are about 40 and younger. So my generation and down. So if, if you're 40 and over, you're not old today, but you're off the hook for a few minutes. I'm going to get to you in just a second. I'm coming after you in just a second. But 40 and younger, okay, Here, here's a little bit of a divide in the church today between those who, who are, say, over 40, maybe even over 50, and those who are younger than 40. What you have is a generational gap, obviously, and what we're seeing is that fewer and fewer younger people are willing to, to ante up, so to speak, to give toward the mission of God through the local church. Now, let me just be honest with you for just a second. We are following a generation of people the ones above us and then the ones above them, following a generation of people who have loved God and loved the church for years and years and years and have given generously and sacrificially for decades to the church, and two things are happening. One is that they are now living, by and large, on fixed incomes and cannot give more than they, than they ever did. They cannot do it. It's a fixed income. It's not going to increase, and as a result, that percentage is still going to remain the same, but, but the total won't go up. Secondly, they're dying. I, in the, the short six years that I've been your pastor, I've, I've preached probably 15 funerals, and many of those have been of great saints of God who have been at Elm Grove for years and years and years and faithfully supported the work of God through this church. So I say to the younger people, we are responsible if we are going to be committed members of this church and committed followers of Jesus Christ, we are responsible to pick up the mantle, not just in service, though that's part of it, but also in giving. Also in giving. Our motivation is very simple, that people need Jesus, and our generosity makes a huge difference. You realize it's estimated that, that churchgoers each week give less than 3% of their income toward the, the mission of the local church. Less than 3%. Now, let me turn this around. Okay, so I've beaten up the people that are under 40. Okay, now you're feeling really bad. But let me say this to those who are in those generations above mine. People in my generation and below are not going to give to things they don't believe in. They're not going to give to things that are just maintaining what is. I don't say that to guilt. I don't say that to alarm. I'm just telling you the simple truth. So as a result of that, those of us who are in leadership in the church, at whatever age we are, in whatever church home you may have, let me challenge and encourage you with this. That our obligation, this is a, this is a two-way street, the responsibility and then obligation. Responsibility of folks who are under 40 is to say, let's get on board and be as generous as we possibly can be toward the things of God. The obligation of those leading the church is to design and focus the ministry of the church outward. 
Because no one is motivated to give towards something they don't believe matters. I don't know how that hits you. I just want to tell you the truth. And like I said, it's 4th of July weekend. Let's bring up the controversial stuff. Why not? Honestly, though, that's the reality. Now, let me tell you about our own church budget. In the past month or so, we've averaged, as far as giving, about $4,500 a week. If, let's just say, that on average is about 3% of what our, our total could be, if you, if you average that out, that's about $234,000 over a 52-week period. So not, not bad. Pretty, pretty strong, consistent. We've been very consistent in our giving. All I'm saying to you is, what if we were able to get on board and we made a plan, individually and collectively, to be more generous each year? If we simply, we increase that percentage a little bit each year. If we were to double it, that gets to $468,000. If we triple it and we're still below what the biblical norm has been for, for centuries, which is the 10%, we're still below that, that's $702,000 at 9%. Imagine what could be done for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Callaway County if we simply made a plan to steadily increase our generosity. This isn't about my salary. This isn't about my stuff. I hope that you know by now, and I hope that the finance committee, and I hope that Christy can attest to this as well, that I, I will never, I will never ever complain. I tell people all the time, this church is being more generous to me than I ever deserve. I'll be honest with you. Cole Archer and Anthony, I talk about it all the time. More generous than I ever deserve. So this isn't about that. This is about the outward folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mission of God. Do we believe in it? Maybe it's time that we consider, we think about, and the way that we spend money at church, how can we continue to focus outward? How can we help the kingdom of God advance? How can we believe in and give toward God's mission as individuals and as a church? I'll move on. We're generous also because others are in need. I've been able to witness this so much in our church, and I'm going to tell you something. Y'all have been generous toward me, and I've never seen a group of people more generous toward each other. I really, I've never seen that. And you all know what I'm talking about. You see needs that people have, and you don't ask questions. We've done that in church. I, I, we, we, I've stood up here before you before and said, hey, there's a need that needs to be met, and let's take up a collection for that. And guess what? It's not only meeting the need, but it's above and beyond. It's exactly what the Philippians did. Paul, Paul said here in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times, over and over and over. And he says, I've received everything in full, verse 18, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. Now, these folks, honestly, I could say, let's just transport the people of Elm Grove and put them in this letter, and Paul's going to say the same thing about you. You've met needs over and over again. You've been generous toward those things. Paul was in need. They became aware. People have been in need. You've become aware and you just meet the need. Let me just brag on you for a second. And I really mean that. I don't mean to blow smoke at you or patronize you in any way. That's something I'm so proud of with this church. Just seeing needs and meeting them. I love that about you. I really do. You know, I mean, I, you know, don't, don't let it build you up to be prideful, but receive the encouragement this morning. It's so great about our church. You know, if all the Christians in Callaway County saw things the, the way that, that the people at Elm Grove do, and this isn't about some other church or anything, but, but if we could get it to be contagious, imagine what could change. Imagine the hunger that would be reduced. Imagine the poverty that would be reduced. Imagine the kids that would have a chance 
in Callaway County. If we could get this idea to be contagious, that we're going to see needs and we're going to meet them. Imagine if there are needs and people had to look no further than the Christians and the churches to meet those needs. I, I pray that what we, what we experience here can become contagious. Because we're generous because simply others have a need. Paul had a need, the Philippians met it. Going on, we're generous because we desire God's blessing. Paul says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but here's what he's looking for. I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Paul wanted them to experience spiritual blessings. He wanted them to, to know that you gain by giving. In response to giving, God returns to you. You, you. you learn a deeper trust. You experience a greater fruit of the Spirit in your life, greater effectiveness. You see God at work. This isn't selfish. This is a reward that God says, you ought to seek, you ought to desire this, you ought to want my blessing on your life. By being generous, we open the door for greater spiritual development, for a greater experience, deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. You gain by giving. If you want to experience God's blessing on your life, if you want to know Him more, start giving. Now let me tell you this as well. Stop listening to people who tell you that, that blessing is going to be in the form of some material return or a promotion at work or better health. Stop listening to those people. Turn off the television. All right, and I mean that. If, if you believe that if I give, that God will give me something tenfold back, and I bought that hanky that that pastor cried on, and he sent it to me, and I'm going to get something. Let me, let me just turn off the television. And I realize that some folks are already as cynical as I am about it, but turn it off because it's a lie. Why? Here's my rule of thumb. If I can't go and preach this sermon in third world Africa, I shouldn't preach it to you. Because if, if the gospel is not true there, then it's not true here. And I'm not going to preach something to you that I wouldn't preach to them and their poverty and their need. God's blessing may be material for you. It may be that he meets a specific tangible need in your life and you never expect it. He may give you a promotion at work. I have no idea. But I know this, that the true blessing he wants to give you is a greater experience and a deepening faith in Jesus Christ, which surpasses any material blessing that you could ever receive because that's what's going to last. Believe that. Maybe for some, we just stop looking for an earthly blessing that won't last, and we start pursuing and desiring what God truly wants to give you, just more of Jesus. We're also generous because it pleases God. We're seeking His blessing. We, we desire His blessing, but we know that our generosity pleases God. Look at the second part of verse 18. What you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This sweet-smelling, pure, holy, good, true sacrifice of the best and first that you had caused God to be pleased. Well, I mean, isn't that great? This pastor just bragging on it. I'm going to tell you, I believe that the sacrificial giving that you all have done for years is pleasing to God. It's fragrant to Him. It's something that makes Him smile. It's a true sacrifice acceptable to Him. Generosity pleases God. Why? Because generosity requires faith. And guess what? Without faith, Hebrews tells us it's impossible to please God. You realize generosity is going to cost you something? If it doesn't cost you anything, you're probably not being generous. I mean, that's true. It's not really a sacrifice. It's not, it's not hurting us in any way. It's not costing us something. These Philippians didn't have much to begin with, and yet they gave, even out of their need, they gave to meet someone else's need. Paul said that's what pleased God. It was a true sacrifice of the first and best that they had. What costs us nothing won't, won't please God. 
he's not pleased with a tip that we leave on the table, if you will. What he's pleased with is when we place our faith in him, and that affects everything in our lives, including our finances. Sacrificial, generous life. A generous church requires faith and trust, and that's what pleases God. Now, we don't do those things in order to be made pleasing to God. Let me clear this up real quick. You might say, well, I guess God's going to love me more, and I'll somehow score some points with God, and that's fine. I'll just write a big old check, and God's good, and we're square, and I'll move on. We have been made pleasing to God only by the life and the death of Jesus Christ and by that alone. You cannot be made pleasing to God by giving more to Him. Hear me on this. Some are trying to work and give our way into God's favor, and it's not going to happen. The result of us being made pleasing to God by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we now live to please God. We don't please God so that we can be given life and forgiveness. We live to please God because we've been given life and forgiveness. Generosity is part of that, and it pleases God. Next, and second to last, you'll note... We're generous because we trust God to meet our needs. The truth is that in my life and in your life, the reason that we are not generous, if that's the case for us, is because we don't trust God to meet our needs. It's simple. I can tell you, when I get stingy, when I get tight-fisted, when I get worried, my trust in God is gone. Simple. If I'm not going to be generous, it's because I don't trust God to meet my needs. Look what Paul tells them. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, you know what last week I told you don't take a verse out of context? Don't take I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and put that on your wall, uh, you know, in your locker as a ball player and see if you can hit the ball 500 feet. I told you I tried to do all things through Christ who strengthens me on the ball field. And here I am. Five foot eight, 175 pounds. Never made the pros. Just never happened for me. Don't yank a verse out of context. And in this one as well, don't yank this verse out of context and say, no matter what, God's going to supply all my needs through His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Guess what Paul is writing in response to? The need that was created by their generosity. Paul says God will meet those needs when you give and it creates a need in your life. You can trust God to meet the need created by your generosity. That's what he's talking about. And of course, Paul knew what real needs were. That's a completely different story, isn't it? But Paul says, when you're obedient to God, you can't outgive God. You, you, you can't be more generous than God can be to you. And he's got to be the one that you trust to meet your needs. And he has to be the one that we trust to meet our needs. But you say, oh, I, I just need to be wise with how I handle my money. The foundation of wisdom comes when you trust God with what you have and you get on board with being generous toward what He's doing. And you say, oh, as a church, we, we just need to make sure that, that, that we, that we have, have preparing for rainy days and down years and so on. You know, honestly, we need to make sure that we're doing first and foremost as a church is that we trust God and we get on board with being as generous as we can toward what God is doing in the world. And the rest of it, if we create a need by our generosity, we're going to trust God to supply all our needs according to, out of, in congruence with His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If you believe that it's up to you and to your abilities to provide for your needs, you'll never become a generous person. You'll never experience the deepening faith that comes with that. And neither will we as a church. 
Our call is to live in absolute dependence on God for everything, both individually and collectively. We're generous because we trust God, not ourselves, to meet our needs. And then finally, we're generous because we do not live for ourselves. Look at verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Not to Elm Grove Baptist Church, not to Brad Burns be glory, not to myself, not to yourself, not to us, to God the Father be glory forever. The bottom line and the biggest question for us all is, do you exist and do you live to increase your own value or to reflect the value of God? And when you live to reflect the value of God, instead of living to increase your own value, guess what? You live open-handed. You live generously. And you say, God, where are you working? What do you want me to do? How can I be generous toward that? question that's always legitimate in closing is, you know, what what do we do now? (laughs) I've hammered you for 35 minutes now with all this truth. Now, what can I do with that? I don't want you to leave feeling beaten up. I do want you to be challenged. My prayer before this sermon, as I stood in a little room down the stairs and to the left, I said, God, I, I, I don't want to back down from this. I know it might be controversial to some, and some may be cynical, the preacher's preaching on money. God, I just want to present the truth. I want to do it gracefully, but I don't want to back down from it because I want us to hear what you have to say. But you know, with that, I also want us to know what do we do with what we've heard. The very first thing that you, that you must understand today is that in response to the generosity of God is to receive that generous grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not go be a better person. Not go give more stuff and money away. But receive the generous grace of God, the offer of salvation and forgiveness. Receive that through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. And if you've not made that step, let me tell you, you can give all the money you want away in the world, but if you don't love Jesus Christ, it all means nothing. It means nothing. It's just money you gave away. After receiving God's generous gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, my challenge to us all is to then become generous givers. And let me show you a quick plan how. You can write this stuff down. Austin's going to pull it on the screen. It's real simple. Not on your bulletin. I know that messes you up because you had your bulletin complete and it's in your Bible and put away. Pull that thing back out. This morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you. And some have already done this. Commit to the Lord to be a generous giver. And make the commitment this morning. Not just, yeah, God, okay, I'll get you off my back. But Lord, I'm committing to you. I don't know what it's going to take in my life, but I'm going to commit to you to be a generous giver. We as a family, we as a a husband and wife, we are going to, to commit to you to be generous givers. That's a commitment. Now, after that, let me just tell you, you can commit all day long, but if you don't do something about it, it ain't going to happen. So secondly, I would encourage you to budget. Now, I realize that for some, that's a four-letter word. That's extremely offensive to you. A budget, some, it's a, it's a foreign language. I'm not sure what does that mean exactly. Can you translate that for me? For some, you know, a budget is simply a plan, and here's where my money's going to go. That's all it is. 
This is what I got coming in. This is what I got to cover. This is where I'm going to spend it. It's a plan. If you don't ever plan for where your money's going to go, then you'll never know exactly where it's going, and it certainly won't be directed toward anything that you want to be generous toward. So budget. If you need some help with that, I'd be happy to direct you to some resources. We've got some folks in our church who are outstanding at those things. There's no shame in admitting we have no clue what we're doing. Would you please help us? Nancy and I got to the point when we first got married, and we thought, what are we going to do with this? So we began to study. How can we budget? How can we figure things out? There's nothing wrong with it. Thirdly, become a percentage giver. As you budget, plan a percentage. I've talked with people before, and, and, and you know, it's, well, I, you know, I recognize that, that the, the standard in the Bible always seems to be that 10%. That's kind of what, what I want to get to, but I just, I'm not there, and I'm not sure that I can get there just like that. Let me tell you, make a plan. Plan to be more generous next month than you were this month and continue that. See what you can do. You say, well, I don't know what kind of percentage I can start with. I don't care. Start with something. Honestly. Become a percentage giver. Why? Off the top, first, before anybody else gets anything, God, here's the percentage I'm going to give you this month. And next month, next year, we're going to begin to get on the path of being more generous than we were previously. Because when you begin to get that percentage and you say, you know what, off the top, God's going to get his mission funded first instead of my mission funded first, it begins to tell you and your money who's in charge. And that's God himself. Become a percentage giver. And then, and then fourthly, become a spontaneous giver. And many of you are so outstanding at this. I, I saw it in action last week. Just spontaneously taking care of somebody, helping them out. I love that. If you're not doing that, begin to do that. And just say, you know what? No, I, I would have spent it on this, but you know, I see a need. I'm going to meet it. Become a spontaneous giver and then repeat that every month. If you need a simple plan, there it is. Receive the generous grace of God. Understand the gospel and then live accordingly. A generous, giving kind of life. I'm not worried if giving doesn't increase next week, I'm not worried if you come up and slip a little bit extra in. I'm not worried if you feel guilty. I want you to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let him come alive in your life and live through you, and the rest will be up to him. That means more money in the offering plate than so be it. If it doesn't, then just be generous. Whatever that means. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would seal in our hearts what you've taught us this morning. I pray for the person who, who doesn't know Jesus, who needs to receive that generous gift of grace. I pray today, Lord, that they would humble themselves and cry out for your forgiveness and turn their lives over to you. And I pray that you'd make us generous givers, make us a generous church toward the things that really, really matter. Help us, Lord. It's not easy. And Satan fights against us. So help us to remember the truth. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you that it pleases you. Lord, give us the courage and strength it takes to obey you this week. Help us, Lord, to commit and to plan and to, to give and to keep on doing that. We pray in Jesus' name.